Hello, and welcome to Energy Levelized. I'm Morgan. And I'm Bill, and we're your hosts. Energy Levelized is a glimpse behind the scenes, a chance to hear from the passionate personalities behind the mountains of research the Enverse Intelligence team puts out on the energy space. For those that aren't familiar with Enveris, we're an energy SaaS firm that is influencing the world's most important energy decisions by connecting an industry through intelligence, data analytics, and smart network technologies. We invite you to join us as we have fun, unscripted, and honest conversations tackling the toughest questions in energy. Hey, Bill. Good to see you. Hey, Morgan. It's good to be back on the podcast again. What have we got this week? Definitely. Um, so we have a, a pretty interesting guest, um, one of the more vocal analysts on the team. Today we have Ryan Luther. Um, so Ryan joined uh, Inveris, or back then it was RS Energy uh, in 2016. Uh, he graduated from uh, the University of Victoria with distinction, earning a Bachelor's of Science Economics degree uh, with a business minor specializing in finance. Um, so a lot of uh, accolades behind Ryan there. I believe he's a CFA. Um, today, he's on our commercial intelligence team, um, uh, leading up our power and renewables research initiative. Um, and uh, apart from that, uh, Ryan is an avid traveler. Uh, I won't say he's a good golfer, but uh, maybe working on on the golf skills now that the CFA is done. But welcome, Ryan. Good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be on. He's a better golfer than I am, I can tell you that much. I'm as good at golfing <laughs> as I am at skiing. Okay, well, everything that you've always wanted to know about green energy, but been afraid to ask. So here we go. We can we can just go straight into it. So Ryan, you know, green energy is is presented uh, within the industry as as one of the key means um, that the global economy moves towards uh, net zero, um, or at least closer to net zero. Um, over the next uh, crucial 10, 20 years. Just to kick it off, what's your your gut feeling about whether there's a chance of delivering that kind of pathway, that aggressive carbon mitigation? Yeah, um, well, green, yeah, green energy is obviously going to play a very major role, um, especially talking, you know, wind and solar. There's been huge commitments around the globe towards moving towards wind and solar energies. Um, but they're, you know, one part of the mix uh, as well as, you know, there's a lot of other pieces. They're definitely the more like intermittent power sources. And so, yeah, it, it is tough to get there with those alone. You are going to need things like you know, nuclear or storage. Um, and, you know, I think we're seeing, I think there's been a lot of change in attitude recently where, um, you know, in the last maybe two to three years, it's been a big focus on just moving away from very very carbon intensive energies towards all renewables and you know with the recent more recent energy crisis in europe we're starting to see a bit of a change of tone on on things like using gas as and you know actually labeling gas as a green energy as well um because it is you know it is one of those energies that is um so easily relied on and as well you know there was a there's been a huge shift in nuclear as well like germany started um essentially banning nuclear after fukushima so that was it's been a big change of tone as well as we're now we're seeing um, a lot more countries get more positive on things like that um yeah at the end of the day it's you know green like renewable energy sources are very intermittent and you do need to back that up with 
something that can be pulled on immediately. And so if that's something like nuclear, then you're really overbuilding the amount of power um, that you can produce. What's that's where the, you know, things like storage start to come into play. What's the um, what's the story with intermittency? Do you think we're going to move towards some sort of uh, storage solution for um, for green technologies that that resolve some of that issue and and allow you to retire some of the hydrocarbon uh, power generation from the mix? We have we have been getting some grid storage. There's a lot of grid storage projects planned in the U.S. Um, and and that does that does allow you to um, retire some of those higher carbon energies. But it really, you know, right now with where costs are at, that ends up that ends up being a higher cost to the consumer. Um, and so, I do think I do think we are going to have to rely on storage quite a bit more into the future. But it, it's really dependent on getting those costs down. And there's lot there's a lot of different um, companies that are kind of paving that way and, and developing new battery technologies that that really drive costs lower. Yeah, from from an investment standpoint, like I know you you deal with a lot of our institutional clients. Like, have you seen a shift in the flow of investments towards green energy? And and inflation has always been, um, or at least for the last little bit, has been a pretty topical um, or having a pretty big impact on investment decisions. Like, are you seeing that in the green energy space, or how is that impacting any investment decisions? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has kind of blown up for um, a, a lot of our, our client types, especially on the private equity side. They've been shifting towards a lot more investments in um, kind of renewable energies or um, renewable fuels. Um, and definitely, you know, the inflationary or the, or the interest rate kind of impact on on green energies is huge. It's, you know, the returns on these projects are, are pretty small and they require a lot of leveraged finance and lower interest rates really help kind of um, allow you to get generate stronger returns on the equity on the equity side of those projects. So low interest rates um, does drive a lot of investment into these green technologies. Um, but as, as those rates are rising, um, you know, the, the, that negative impact really being offset by um, you know the, the commitments around the globe from governments to to increase spending on these things and uh, changing their policies to allow further investment and and allow higher returns on those investments. Yeah, one one term that I hear floating around quite a bit is greenflation. Can you just explain that a little bit? Yeah, um, I guess the way the way I think about it is um, yeah you have uh, kind of a you have you know government stepping in with with fiscal policy to implement a lot more um, green technology and retiring um, you know other assets before their before their useful life is up and ultimately when they when you do that you have to you know the companies that own those assets and retiring them early still need to get um, you know they still need to get their their value out of them so those retirements turn into increased costs for the power consumer and um, you know so that's the one part of greenflation um, the other side of it which is a very strong impact is just the amount of materials required to build out that infrastructure um, and you know batteries is one part of it transmission is another um, way to kind of help with um, with the storage aspect or the intermittent aspect but transmission takes a ton of copper um, you know all of these wind turbines take a ton of copper uh, solar panels take a ton of rare earth minerals um, and mining and you know those commodities are starting to trade pretty much uh, I would say like all-time highs some of them um, or 20-year highs so 
that's kind of the issue is you have this huge movement, you know, in, in Western societies towards these greener technologies, and they really want to grow them at, you know, a pretty incredible pace. You have EVs uh, or EV adoption kind of taking off at an incredible pace. It's all putting a ton of pressure on the raw, the raw materials. Um, and that's, that's where, you know, the inflationary aspects of greenflation are, are, you know, really not something that can, or something that's really tough to be controlled by, by interest rates. Um, it's interesting you should mention the the you know shortages of rare earths and and metals because of course we've had all this supply chain uh, headwinds in the last in the COVID recovery period of the economy anyway. What I was going to ask you about was do you do you think that um, you've talked about the headwinds from from greenflation from from those sorts of problems? Do do you think that governments are, are set to do more to to sort of um, facilitate investment into this sector? Do you think it's we're likely to see uh, you know more more subsidies, or do you think subsidies are on the way out for a lot of these uh, uh, green technologies? I think we're likely to see more subsidies in places where they're not. Um, uh, you know, in the U.S., like we're seeing subsidies be pulled back in some cases um, as these technologies become more cost competitive. Um, but there's a lot of countries around the world that are very far off from transitioning and where those subsidies are going to you know, be required um, to make that investment happen. So it'll it'll yeah, I, I, I would expect to see it in different places. Um, and, you know, that that's really dependent like those those subsidies, like on the wind turbine side, some of those falling off are really dependent on you know, wood turbines being cost competitive and with this cost inflation on the material side that, you know, that could mitigate some of that. And that's probably going to be or the way I would expect it to play out is, you know, prolonging of those subsidies for a bit longer than, than when we expected them to roll off. Do you, I mean, do you think that the, the, the greenflation is, is uh, more prominent in, in that sector than it is in, in, in renewables than it is say in the uh, oil and gas sector? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, when in terms of the oil and gas sector, it's you know inflation is not doesn't have that much of an impact on the on the producer's cost, um, especially with where oil prices oil and gas prices are today. Um, yeah, there's obviously there's a ton of steel that goes into drilling wells. Um, there's a big labor aspect, but the margins um, on those companies at, at today's prices are much higher um, versus. Looking at these renewable energies, there's been a huge trend t- towards reducing those costs, and that really has forced margins to be quite minimal. So, any kind of inflation is pretty impactful on being able to get a, a positive return out of those assets. Makes sense. So, looking at, like, looking ahead at the the new energy space, you know, all these different um, renewable and power projects that you know are opening up to the investment. Uh, sector. Is there any area of that that gets you particularly excited or, or like how do you invest in that today? Yeah, I mean, we're looking at um, kind of all all pack, all parts of the the transition or, or the green or clean economy um, in terms of investments. And there's definitely a lot of areas that I find um, pretty exciting for, for investing. There's a lot of new areas um, with tons of new data sets that don't think are really being taken advantage of. Um, you know, we're doing a ton of work on the power generation and storage side in, in the US. Uh, I've done a lot of work on EV charging infrastructure. There's a lot of unique data you can use there to understand um, the differences in the networks that are being built out uh, in that space. 
Um, the mind, yeah, and yeah, you know, we've I think you know we've published a few times on um, the mining sector and and just how much uh, raw materials are going to be required. Um, that's where we expect yeah a lot of the inflation to play out is in those asset prices or commodity prices, and so. That is one, you know, if you're yeah. just looking to get along a sector, I think that's one sector that um, is definitely really about, interesting to look are at. There, well. Are there sectors that are maybe overhyped? Like I know maybe a, a year, 18 months ago, um, hydrogen was getting a lot of attention, but that seems to have quietened down. Is the technology just not there? Is it the cost prohibitive compared to these other technologies that are coming out? Or like, yeah, what, what's been the overhyped areas? Yeah, I mean, if you look at like the, Maybe three or four month share uh, share price returns on on a lot of these like new energy growth sectors like like hydrogen or power storage or um, yeah residential solar installers all of all of the or EV charging they've all gotten pretty hammered um, but uh, you know it's not it's not that the technology is not playing out as much as I think it's um, you know just asset prices re reflecting higher discount rates. Um, and these just being, you know, very long dated growth as, uh, assets. Um, but, you know, some of the work we did at our, at our conference was looking at, um, you know, our, our expectations of, of the market and, and the growth rates and, and the total TAM and how, that, how we expect that to grow. And what we found was, you know, back in uh, December, the, the stock prices of a lot of those sectors are, are really not high enough to reflect that kind of growth. We're expecting a lot of growth in the next 10 to 15 years. Um, and what we found is, you know, if you do kind of the DCF model and back out the implied growth rate by the equity price, you're, you're really only getting enough growth to uh, kind of get that valuation to work for the next few years. Um, or, or really, you're not, you're not, it seems like equity markets really aren't baking in um, a 10 year growth period, or it's more like a two to three year growth period. Um, so even though, you know, they've, they've obviously pulled back quite a bit, discount rates have changed. Um, we we still think the growth is really um, underappreciated in in these sectors. Um, and yeah, yeah, your point on hydrogen, we've always kind of thought it's a little bit overhyped. Um, but there's there are, is kind of big changes in policy, especially in Europe, that are they're going to be changing the demand for things like hydrogen. Um, so that mm -hmm. yeah, as much as it isn't necessarily cost competitive uh, with something like electric vehicles, um, isn't a great storage material compared to lithium. Um, yeah, it, it is. It is something that's going to happen, or it's something that is mm -hmm. happening, whether or not we like it. So, Ryan, if you had to pick uh, the winners and the losers, what, what's what's your gut tell you about the the different technologies that are out there in terms of mass adoption in the next, say, five five ten years? Um, well, I I think you know electric vehicles um, as of today. If you if you look at some of the new model offerings are. Um, by you know, almost every way better than ICE vehicles. Um, they're just you know lower maintenance costs. You know, rarely have to use a public charger um, versus using gas stations, and the ranges are are you know pretty pretty uh, competitive at least for those higher end um, models. That side of things I think is you know a bit of a cost issue where you know to get those ranges you do need huge batteries and with this material inflation that's going to be expensive for the everyday consumer, but that's one that it, you know we we're very bullish on EV adoption and and you know, I think that's something that's definitely going to take off. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that falls on top of EV adoption. You know, power storage like mobile power storage. Um, it's an incredibly innovative space, and um, you know you do have to be a very big producer to be able to manufacture at scale in that in that business. So 
there's definitely going to be some winners and losers there that um, you know we think are are kind of differentiated based on the technologies and their the amount that they're spending on R and D and and you know their ability to scale. Um, and then yeah, the EV charging space, like I said, we've looked at the manufacturers of of that equipment as well as the the firms that own and operate those stations. I would say definitely the equipment side is is a nice place to be, especially if you have a differentiated product. Um, you know, Wallbox is one of the firms that we've liked for a while because they do have some some differentiated patents that really set their product apart. But yeah, I mean, all all of those sectors we think have fall off of that EV thesis. Um, it, there's you know as well like the move to to green energy is going to be pretty huge for wind and solar, but um, it, it, it's just a bit harder to get high returns in those areas. They're much more utility focused. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely a lot, a lot to keep on top of and uh, get bold up on. I, I should have mentioned this at the beginning when Ryan first started. He was a Permian analyst. So to have this conversation with Ryan about new energy um, and electric vehicles coming from uh, being a diehard Permian analyst is is pretty fun. So thank, thanks, guy. Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Ryan, for the captivating conversation. And uh, we'll chat soon. Fantastic. Thanks, Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Thanks. Morgan. This podcast was recorded on February 16th, 2022. Inveris Intelligence Research Incorporated provides leading energy industry research and is a subsidiary of Inveris, the largest SaaS company in the world solely dedicated to the energy market. Therefore, any company mentioned in this podcast may be a subscriber or client of Inveris Intelligence Research, Inveris, or their affiliates. However, any views expressed in this podcast accurately reflect the speaker's personal views about any subject securities referenced. The information contained in this recording is provided for information purposes only and is not to be used or considered as investment advice or recommendation or offer to buy, hold, or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Please visit www.inveris.com disclosures for additional information.